You may take your seat and help me announce this topic. Say neighbor. neighbor. Today we're going to learn about, about Joseph, Joseph and what the invisible man reveals. Let's pray. That's my part. Father, thank you so much for just this time that we have to, to get into your word. Um, Lord, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to pluck some stuff asunder. And so as we pause now and lift this moment up before you, I ask, Father, that you speak to us from the front of the church to the back, from the side to the other side, that you would speak to us that you would open up our hearts to hear you. Father, in fact, let us not be people who become fatheads, who hear a lot of good things, hear a lot of stuff about you, but never affect how we live. Let us be hearers of the word and doers also. So Father, with that in mind, I pray that you would give us mind to understand what it is you have to say. Give us a heart to embrace your truth and give us feet to walk after. I pray, Father, that you would give me a sense of clarity, mental clarity, clarity of speech. I pray that you would give me boldness to speak to your people in this point in time. I pray that you would let me decrease so that you could increase, that at the conclusion of this, your son will receive glory and folks will be drawn to deeper faithfulness in him. I pray and ask, Father, that at the conclusion of this, you would sit in your throne and rock back having received glory from this. Let no flesh glory in this moment. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. Many of us are very excited about this particular holiday. Uh, We've looked for a minute. As soon as Halloween was over, we could not wait to count down for Christmas. Now, when you're an adult, it's not because you actually get gifts anymore, especially if you're an adult with kids, because you get nothing. You just get broke. But uh, we pause to remember this particular week because of what it means in our history. Uh, The day that Jesus was born is unlike any other day. It's so much so that our calendar has split from B.C. to A.D., the birth of Jesus Christ. But oftentimes when we look at this tapestry that is weaved of individuals around Jesus Christ's birth, There is often one individual who goes unnoticed. We always remember Mary. In fact, we sympathize with her. We think about what she would have gone through to be a virgin mother to have a child that she did not lay down to have, but was given to her by God. Uh, But we oftentimes never think about a character who Matthew really does a lot to talk about, and that's Joseph. Joseph oftentimes is invisible in the Christmas story, though many American cities are named after him and we even have a school in our city that bear his name. Joseph is a man who in the narrative of Jesus is oftentimes invisible. In fact, if you look at many uh, nativity scenes, you might see him standing behind the three wise men while Mary stands there cradling Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to take a moment to pull out one of those threads in that tapestry and to hold it up before us and see what it is that God would have to say to us about the invisible man, Joseph, and what bearing does he have in our lives. Joseph is a very interesting guy because in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, you never see him saying anything. You don't know Joseph by any words that he said, but rather you know him by what he did. Joseph is best noted, not just as the adoptive father of Jesus, but he's noted by Matthew as an obedient servant of God, Joseph. 
Joseph was chosen by God at a pivotal point in history for a specific role, to be provider and protector of the precious baby Jesus. Joseph, a carpenter, no man of sophistication, no man of wisdom, a man who crafts things with his hands, a carpenter, now would become the caretaker of the creator of all, Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. That's quite telling for us because it tells us that God doesn't need any of our accolades to use us. God doesn't need any of our supposed wisdom, stuff we think we know, any of our reputation, money, education, lack thereof, street credibility, none of it. But if God decides to use you, he will make you equipped to be used. Matters not what you think you brought to the table or what you think you can gain to bring to the table. God's going to use you if he wants to, but when he comes knocking at your door, what makes this trip all the better is when he knocks at your heart, he sees a heart whose disposition is one towards obedience. That's where we see Joseph at here. We pick up on Joseph in a great dilemma. Joseph is said by Matthew to be betrothed to Mary. Can you see this here? We in our country, which basically means this was an engagement in our culture, we move through engagement like wind moves through trees. It's a very light thing that we step into. That's why many of us get into marriages not knowing what to do because we don't really understand the, the seriousness of that piece. Joseph being betrothed to Mary meant that his family took time to select her. Joseph's family would have walked around through the neighborhood and walked around through friends and family members to select a wife that would be suitable for Joseph. I can see them when they knock at Mary's parents' door as they're saying, we know that you have a daughter who's full of beauty. Perhaps we can cook her up with my son Joseph. Mary comes out beautiful as she is, almost radiating in glory, appears before Joseph and he nudges his father and says, daddy, that's the one. I could see his parents saying, give us Mary into this legal contract that says that, Mary, you will be faithful to him until the day that you say I do. Joseph, don't get too excited because you can't touch that yet. I know many of us like to taste the water before we drink it and try the food before we cook it. But he says, you can't touch that because, Mary, you got to stay pure. Got to sit by yourself and wait for this year to pass so that you can come together. Joseph is engaged. His family has presented a gift that is worth more than anything that he can get from Kay's jeweler. She has promised to say yes, and he has placed a ring on her finger. Joseph, excited about his marriage. But Luke tells us something that Matthew doesn't tell us. Luke tells us that Mary receives a celestial visit from one named Gabriel. Gabriel knocks on the door and says, oh, Mary, how blessed are you? Blessed are you among all women, for you shall conceive a child. This child would be the son of God, and she gets pregnant. The text tells us that before they are able to come together, that's Joseph and Mary, she is found to be pregnant. Now, we oftentimes read this passage and kind of pull it out of reality. We read it as if Joseph, Mary, and individuals around there were devoid of feeling, that they were just passive participants that said, God, do what you want to do, and we're just excited about this. Mary gets pregnant, and Joseph has not the slightest clue. In fact, if you read Matthew and Luke together, you find that the only person who actually knows is her cousin. 
The text tells us that she's found to be pregnant. Joseph, as they're coming together for their next counseling meeting before their marriage, he walks into her house and he discovers something that explains her weight gain. Her, her seeming mornings of morning sickness has now come to light. The thing that she concealed with heavy clothes is now showing its face. Mary, the one that he saw as piece of purity, the one that he was planning to live his life with. They were meeting to talk about how much money they would spend on different categories in their budget, how many kids would they have. Before they can even get to that discussion, he notices that there is something on her stomach. Mary, can't you see Joseph's face? As he sees the woman that he's engaged to is now pregnant. The one who represented purity in his eyes has now been soiled by another. Can, can you see him as he hears his friends say to him, I told you not to mess with that girl. You want to take that girl and make her your housewife when she's proven to be something else with an H. You want to take her to be yours. I told you not to be her. Can you see Joseph as he darkens the color of his floor, pacing back and forth night after night, thinking about the difficult dilemma that he is now in? This woman that he was preparing to be with, to, to split everything he had with, the one that he promised, who promised to be faithful to him is now pregnant with a child that's not his. Can you see him laying in his bed at night with his eyes glued open as he stares at the ceiling fan, wondering what will he do in this situation? He finds himself in a difficult dilemma. Joseph, as he ponders, says, I come to a conclusion, and that is this. I can't marry this chick. He says, it's not even because we are beyond the place of counseling. It's not even really because we're beyond the place of forgiveness. But if I take this woman to be mine, which means this child will become mine, it means I am complicit in her sin. It means I have taken on her shame and her supposed sin, and it has now become mine. I cannot marry this woman. He says, what shall I do? I have the choice. I can separate from her publicly. Serves her but right. She's unfaithful to me. I can publicly give her what she deserves. But Joseph, the text tells us, was a just man, a, a righteous man. And he said, I, I resolved to do it secretly. As hurt as Joseph was, having done all the right things, as confused as he was, as lost as he was, as in his feelings as he was, he realizes her worth almost even over his. It's a sad thing when we say a very true statement that hurt people hurt people. Sometimes we act as if because someone has dealt us the wrong blow that we are now entitled with a get out of jail free card because we have been hurt. And some of us find ourselves scheming and plotting to do things to get people that hurt you 25 years ago when God is actually saying, can you just let it go? Joseph looks at this and says, I could banish her. I could make her look bad. But at the end of the day, she would end up being killed. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. But I'll show some love here as he lays back in his bed and he's become content with his decision. 
Now his eyes begin to become heavy and he falls asleep. And the text tells us that behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Angel of the Lord is not just something that you see in a painting, but it is God who has come to speak with him in his dilemma. Ain't it interesting how God never diverts us from dilemmas, that he'll let us walk right up to the door and in the midst of it, but he always has a way of meeting us there. And somebody is discouraged now because we are in our own dilemma, and God is able and willing to meet you in your difficult dilemma. He's in this dilemma, content with what direction he's about to go. The angel appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take her as your wife. You already set the ball in motion to marry her. Don't take your hand from that plow. He says, because the one that's in her, which is conceived in her, is not from any man, but it is from the Holy Spirit, divine origin. She will bear a son and they shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what he will do. All this took place, according to Matthew, to to fulfill this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who Jesus is. We'll come back to that. God speaks to Joseph in a dream, and he wakes up. Joseph could have counted that to some spoiled chicken that he ate. He could have gotten up and said, I must have eaten something wrong that that did not agree with me. But rather, the text tells us that he hears this, wakes up, and immediately obeys. In fact, Matthew does it so well when he says he did what the angel said, and then Matthew will say what he did. He took her as his wife and touched her not until she had the child. What what, what are we saying here? There is something when God shows up and makes a demand that should call for obedience. Some of us sit up in this church week after week and hear sermons that are preached directly at you as if the pastor knows what you're talking about. And God has been pulling themes out, dealing with areas of your life. But we step back and we theologicalize and spiritualize and intellectualize our disobedience. And God is saying, when I knock at your door, will I? I find obedience. There are some places in our lives where things ain't quite making sense. And God is saying, I don't care how illogical what I'm telling you to do is. Can you just obey me? There are some people in relationships that God is saying you need to exit now. But God, I thought you wanted me to not be alone. And God is saying, yeah, can you obey what I'm saying? Angel shows up and tells him, this doesn't make sense to you, but I have something that I'm doing. And the text tells us that Joseph got up and did it. Why we got to wait so long to obey? Why we got to pull together the council of friends who are just as blind as we are? Why do we have to ask Wendy Williams what she thinks to understand what obedience means? Why why do we have to take time to ponder and pray, not knowing that all that is doing is buying time for your disobedience? When God says, when I knock at the door of your heart, when I tell you to do something that comes against you, will you obey me? And just like his forefather in the faith, Abraham, when he was told to get up, 
and leave your family and go to a place that I'll lead you just like David when God told him to wipe out the Philistines, just like the baby in his wife's womb who would obey until death. Joseph took the word of God and grabbed hold and obeyed. Text tells us that he took her, didn't touch her, and called the boy's name Jesus. He understood that the moment he took this woman, the moment he took this child that everyone would call a bastard, the moment he placed his name on that boy, that he would now possibly be ridiculed for the rest of his life. That any ounce of his reputation that he thought was good would be gone because he obeyed God to take Jesus as his boy. The fact that he named him implies that he went from this direction of leaving to this direction of keeping. Even at a risk of his himself. What, what is God saying here? God sometimes will call you to do things that don't make you feel good. There are sometimes he will cause you to do some things that will make you look like a pauper instead of a king. There are times when God will call you to obey him in places where it does not feel comfortable to obey him. And the question that is on the floor is, will there be obedience? Faithful obedience at that. Bible tells us that he takes her, names the boy, and keeps them. He takes on her shame. The fact that people would talk about Mary until she's dead. They, he took that on as himself. Note the irony here that while he takes on her shame, the baby that she had in, his, in her belly would take on our shame. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. So God moves Joseph from dilemma to direction. Joseph hinged every decision he would make in his life on what God said to him. If it did not line up to what the Lord said, he wasn't going to do it. He, he, he was going south, and God said, turn and go north. He, he was going to go left, but God said, turn and go right. Joseph began to live this life. I, I can see him now as he answers the call to the census, heads back to his hometown of Bethlehem, the no-name place. And he shows up in Bethlehem, and as they're going, would you believe that his wife begins to go in labor? Oh, so inappropriate and so out of time. They're knocking on every door of every hotel on the road, and every hotel is closed, no space, no occupancy available. They're only left to go to somebody's garage, to step over the oil stains, to walk past the mice and move the droppings, and to have the baby and lay him in the manger. Can't you see Joseph as he's obeying God and doesn't even understand what's happening? Can, can you see him when... The foreigners show up at his house. They're cooking dinner and Mary is nursing her baby and some guys say, I saw a sign that said he was here. And he shows up and they knock on the door and they come in and they see baby Jesus and they begin to worship his baby. Can you see Joseph as he stands there, not fully grasping what this means, as these strange men who he'd never seen talking about they have come to see the Savior. He don't know if they're high or not. <laughs> and they present to the baby gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
The moment that all of humanity had been waiting for had come. Emmanuel, God with us was here. It don't get no better than that. And then the text tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, that the tide began to turn. God visits him and says, now take your wife and that baby and go to Egypt because Herod is seeking to kill your son. Can you see that? The savior of the world who is my son is now in danger. God, I obeyed you. I I did what you told me to do. And now I stand here facing pending danger. SEAL Team 6 is knocking at the doors of everyone's house to take what you promised that you would do. God, I, I, I thought I heard you right, that this was your son who would save us. How then is his life in danger? God, I, I've obeyed you, and, and I'm not understanding this disruption here. I'm not understanding how I can hear you clearly, verifiably, and yet when I obey you, I see difficulty here. I I remember succinctly when the Lord called me to Philadelphia. I I remember when he spoke to me in my mother's basement, and every decision I made had that in mind. God, I moved here and I've been here for three years and the last year has been the most hellacious year that I have ever endured in my life. God, I thought I heard you. Why why, why did we have a miscarriage within minutes of our commissioning service? God, how can my first child, my daughter, whom I love dearly, be diagnosed with autism? Compound the discouragement that you face from ministry. Now I have to wonder, will I ever know my child? God, how can my wife, who is now pregnant, have a difficult pregnancy and a routine surgery meant that she almost died? God, I thought I heard you right. I'm talking about some people here. There are some in this room who have obeyed the Lord. You have done the right things. You have come to church. You have walked away from some stuff. You have answered the call of a yes. You have paid your tithes and can't pay your bills. And you're wondering, has God misled you? God, I I thought I heard you correctly. I, I, I thought I heard you rightly. How can you be directing me towards disaster and destruction and difficulty? Joseph has to be asking these questions, God. I didn't ask for this. I didn't come seeking this. I didn't stand in some receiving line and say, God, bless me with this. I was here and you threw it on me. But the text tells us that in that moment, he wakes up. And again, he does what the angel says. Takes his wife, takes the baby, and they head to Egypt. He was obedient faithfully obedient, even with difficulty. Some of us are on the verge of stepping off the line. Some of us are on the verge of thinking about giving it up because we've been obedient and difficulties there. And what God is saying to us, will you be obedient, faithfully obedient, even in the face of stuff you can't understand? Joseph takes this baby and he goes to a foreign land, a land that he's not even from, Egypt. And he and his wife find peace in Egypt. They're in Egypt, and they're nobody that they know. 
And then God visits him one more time and says, all of the SEAL Team 6 is dead. The governor who wanted to kill your son, he's no more. So take up your baby and go back. That there is something that we need to note here about Joseph, and we need to note his immediate obedience. God is looking for his people to not respond with the let me pray about it and decide next month. God is looking for his people to understand that the cost that he paid to get you to be his means that there ought to be some obedience that comes quickly on our end. Joseph, obedient, even in the face of danger. But when we look at Joseph's obedience, we see that this invisible man, Joseph, is obedient through a lot of stuff. But the obedience of Joseph points beyond him. The obedience of Joseph points to the one who will come after him. It would point to the one that is in his wife's stomach that will far exceed his obedience, even to the point of death. We go back to the dream that Moses, that Joseph had, where God spoke to him and said, this baby that your wife has is not from another man, but rather is conceived of the Holy Spirit, divine origin. Joseph's obedience was based on what he knew about Jesus. Joseph's obedience was based on who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. Matthew outlines for us who this Jesus is. He says that it was to fulfill what the prophet said. He reaches all the way back in Jewish history. At a time when King Ahaz was scared, he was going to lose his throne. And there was a king in Israel and a king in modern day Syria that had united to come fight against the king of Judah. And God said, don't fear, don't fret, don't be scared, because there'll be a woman who will have a kid and they will call his name Emmanuel, showing that God is with you. Let me just say this here. When you understand that it is God who is with you, obedience becomes all the more peaceful. That in our obedience, God is not calling us to depart from him, but rather to Follow him who is with us. He says, Emmanuel, God with us. He picks this back up and says, this fulfills what the prophet had said. That Jesus' birth was not just some arbitrary birth. It wasn't because of Mary's lack of judgment or her no wisdom having self. But it was because God was up to something to tell us who was there. Jesus God with us. God had a plan to come and to be with his people. And on that day, divinity reached down and kissed humanity when the baby of Jesus was placed in a manger. That's who he is. Emmanuel. Angels rejoiced when they saw that king there. Angels shook the the room as they saw the glorious Jesus Christ laying in the manger. Mountains shook and water rose as baby Jesus entered into this world. That's who he is. Emmanuel, God with us. But what will he do? Matthew tells us and the angel says that this baby, this boy who would be born, would be called Jesus because he will rescue his people from their sins. Joseph would have heard this and said, I got six cousins named Jesus. And and if you live here in Philadelphia, of course, you know six people who know six people named Jesus. (laughs) But in naming him Jesus, 
It was letting us know what Jesus would do. He says because he would rescue his people from their sin. The people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah to come because they had sat under tyrannical rulers forever now. And they were ready for God to come in form to delete and deliver them from the tyranny that they faced. But God says there is a deeper tyrant that you yourself don't know. That tyrant is your sin, stronger than any centurion chief or any praetorian protector or any imperial edict. The sin that we face, the sin that leads us and the sin that guides us needs one stronger to deliver. Sin held us captive beyond impenetrable doors. Sin infiltrated every part of us, damning us to the core. Sin tainted everything we touched and did. Sin led us deep into shame, never to be hid. God says there is a tyrant in all of us that needed to be defeated. Jesus. Can you see Joseph as he hears this about his son, as he pats the back of his baby boy that would one day take stripes on our behalf, as he lets the baby wrap hands around his finger that would one day be old enough to carry a cross up Golgotha's hill, as he looks at feet and tickles them that would one day walk up the trail and be peers for ourselves. That's how Jesus would deliver us from the tyrant. Jesus would grow up and to be stretched wide and to hang on a cross and our sin be placed on his back and God will pour out his judgment on him and he says this this is who he is this is what he will do picture that Joseph is not obedient because of anything in him he's obedient because he sees who Jesus is and what he will do here's what this text teaches when you grapple with who Jesus is and what he came to do you see the importance for your obedience Do you understand that if you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, that if you have turned from your sin and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead after he died for your sins, do you understand that the life that we live is not our own? That God is simply saying, just as you obeyed me at first, stay on that track and obey me in difficulty. I don't care how difficult life is. Can you hold on to Jesus and the word that God promised to hold you and remain faithfully obedient? When we understand who Jesus is and what he came to do, we see the importance of our obedience. God is saying, I'm tired out for trying to see you wait six years to make a decision to obey. I've been dealing with that issue in your life and pressing my thumb on it for a reason. I've been allowing this issue to continue to arise so so that you can obediently face it. God is saying, I'm not going to let it go until you obey me. And if you think you can run the opposite direction, I'll meet you there. God is saying, can you obey me when you don't understand me? Can you obey me through dilemma? Can you obey me through disrupting danger? Can you have a heart that is open to obey? Not so you can get stuff, but because of what Christ has done for us. That's what this text teaches us. That's what we see when we pull this thread out of that tapestry. A heart of obedience that is responding to what Jesus has done. The heart of obedience that is responding to what God has done for us. Can we be obedient? Let's pray.